0: Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 130, EPR's Table Series, Nate Rosenfeld. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is joined by fellow Michigander and new host of the Michigan Wild podcast, Nate Rosenfeld. Nate is a family man who lives and breathes the outdoors. Nate has conditioned his life around seasons so that he can maximize the right time. The guys talk about several topics and eventually settle in on meat versus antlers, where they are able to find and totally agree on some very foundational terms. Nick, of course, dives into whether Nate processes his game or takes it in and is quite impressed with how Nate handles his shoulders. So let's dive into this great chat about hunting in Michigan on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks. Beautiful evening here in Michigan. I tell you, it's starting to... It's still getting warm during the day, but we're feeling the chill at night. I think fall is in the air. We still have plenty of time for summer, so let's not panic. I mean, it's not even close to Labor Day yet. But at the same time, man, things feel like they are rolling. So the time that you hear this is going to be, hopefully it will be somewhere between the end part of uh august and the beginning part of september so a lot of things are being discussed a lot of things are being finished up fine-tuned uh if you're not shooting your bow well this is your psa to get out there and start doing that immediately but it's just a great exciting time a lot of things in the air a lot of plates being spun and so we just gotta kind of have to take uh take our licks with it just hold true and uh Follow through and execute. So that's kind of what this uh, part of the year always seems like to me. Uh, As an educator, man, like school is now just starting. By the time you hear this, we'll be, uh, yeah, full swing at school. I'm going to be surrounded by a bunch of kids, and I'm also going to be sweating about trying to find time, carve out time to get out here this October. But that is neither here nor there. We are joined tonight by a fellow Michigander coming to us from the north side of Grand Rapids. If you're not sure where that's at, just go ahead and take a look at your right hand facing towards you. Find the uh, the palm side just underneath your pinky and about, eh, yeah, right there in the big squishy part. That's about where Grand Rapids is at. We're joined with Nate Rosenveld. He is the host of the Michigan Wild Podcast here on Sportsman's Empire. Nate, thank you so much for joining us uh, this wonderful evening. Uh, tell me, have you been out shooting your bow, getting ready for these upcoming seasons?
1: Oh, absolutely. I've been shooting my bow pretty much every day. I try to do it in the morning before work and every night before I go to bed.
0: Excellent. I like that morning and evening. Uh, start your day out right and then, yeah, coming home after work. You're tired, you're trying to decompress, but I can't think of a better way to set up that pressure shot than just getting out of the truck, just getting out of the car, and heading over to the bag target. Sounds like you're kind of going with the uh, first arrow, best arrow mentality, rather than the uh, send a million reps down uh, down range. Is that, is that kind of where you're lean, yep. leaning?
1: Exactly. Yeah, so I really like the last light shots at night before bed. gives you really uh, realistic, you know, shooting opportunity because, you know, you don't necessarily see your pins the greatest or low lights will usually do it to come out. But, yeah, I like to have my first arrow be money. I have three separate targets set out, and I shoot three arrows, close range, medium range, long range. Shoot once at each, get my arrows when I come home from work and do it again at night, so. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I just,
0: uh, I've I've been normally really good with shooting my bow, and this, we just got back, we've we've been gone for two weeks, so I actually had to blow the dust off the bow, because I haven't used it, we've been gone, and so getting back, and again, finding form, making sure to execute my points, and then from there, seeing where the arrow goes, that's kind of been my my mentality is I'm actually getting to the point where I'm like, okay, did that feel like a good shot as opposed to worrying about the result of the shot? Um, Because as far as the result of the shot goes, as long as I'm going through my process, that arrow is going to fly true out of that bow. And so then it just becomes you know a little tick here, a little tick there, a movement of the rest, uh, adjust the sight just a smidge like you're just kind of fine-tuning at that point but I'm really trying to hone in on you know getting a good draw getting a good hold and making sure that I find those contact points um that's kind of been kind of been my my mantra at least this past past year and it's been paying off pretty well is at least through the 3d range at that point like i can always fix a little bit of the the flight of the arrow from the bow but i normally can't always like depend on me so that's where i've been really trying to focus on is perfecting my setup
1: yeah i really like to shoot you know in the winter time my basement short yardage you know 13 yards i think is all i can get my basement but that's when i really bulk shoot get the form down, focus on my anchor and muscle memory. So then when the weather gets good, you can jump right into, you know, extended ranges and then that's a real good extent extension of you from muscle, muscle memory and stuff. So, and then, you know, if you're off or on, uh, by the arrow flight.
0: Yeah. Well, we've been, we jumped right in here into, uh, into archery. Um, but just in my, my small experience getting a chance to talk with you, Nate. Uh, you you bring to the plate here. You bring to the empire a, a whole unique setup. As the far as you're, you're very much a generalist, um, but you do a lot here in Michigan. Um, and I'm just kind of going through one of your previous uh, interviews. Um, you're you're also a, a dog guy. Uh, you've got several hounds that. You chase, you chase small game, chase waterfowl. Tell us a little bit about your passion about using dogs to help you out in your hunting pursuits.
1: Yeah, I have really dove into using dogs for the probably last like 10 years. I mean, once I was in high school, I had a really close friends that had beagles and just loved, loved that. And once I had my son, Henry, he's seven now, and he got to the age of like three years old approximately. I was like, I need to take them outside more, do things. And just beagles were easy to do that, chase some rabbits. And then, yeah, the last four or five years, I've kind of dove headfirst first into beagles, rabbit hunting and doing that. And I love seeing the dogs work and just another thing to get out in the woods and enjoy that with my family and do that. I love being outside. If I can be outside 24-7, I'm happy.
0: Awesome, awesome. So you're you're a family guy as well. How many kids you got? Just one, just the one. You haven't decided to get into uh, the multiples yet. I'm sitting over here with three, and I can tell you, it's I. I don't sleep better, <laughs> Nate. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. Don't do it I because am the oldest is sick. So, <laughs> I know. oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, we just. Uh, my wife decided to take on all uh, the soccer practices, or she's a she's coach for each of the three boys. Uh, at least soccer wise and then I am assistant coaching their uh, football team, their their flag football team so I got two kids in multiple sports. I tell you what it's it's an absolute juggle fest right now. Um, we just got home shoot, we've been gone from the house for 12- 14 hours and you know, we're kind of figuring out like is this is this really what our what our fall is gonna be like? Oh man, this is gonna be a little bit tough um so you just got the little one that's you know what that's good enough for this year let's just stick there
1: (laughs) yeah that's i mean i have the easy job in that you know that regard but uh i think another kid is in the future possibly but there's a lot of things we both work full-time jobs and careers and stuff like that but just trying to be free-spirited with it and i guess when it happens it happens there you go i love kids and i love being outside with the family and all that stuff so
0: um so i want to get into a couple things too and uh just kind of firing some stuff at you being a michigander i gonna kind of rip rip a few fast ones at you and you just got to tell me your uh your answer right off the, be- the get-go uh is it go green or go blue
1: go blue
0: baby oh man this is gonna be a this is gonna be a short interview i guess <laughs> <laughs> um lions or packers
1: Oh, Lions for sure. Oh,
0: good. We, you saved it right there. Um, oh, shoot, I lost. We're going to the Super Bowl this year, by the way. You, are we? See, I, I feel like you're putting the car to get ahead of the horse. I think we're going to oh, scare we, a lot of people. It has been drained. Oh, good, good. I'm glad you drink the Honolulu Blue. <laughs> I, I'm looking for at least a, an NFC North championship before we start talking Now, now I will take anything that we can get. I mean, I feel like we can stand up there with just about anybody. Uh, In fact, I think we get Kansas City right out the gate, Game One. Uh, That'll be a real tester right there. But at the same time, I'm just kind of I'm holding. I don't want to say I'm I'm reserving my excitement, but I just I've been hurt before, and I, I want a champ or I want an NFC North title first. I mean, yes, we have to get there. But once we get that, then it's like, okay, good. Let's see if we can't get icing on the cake. But I like how you're calling out the Super Bowl here on our our first year of some <laughs> of some good stuff going on. So, um, next yeah, question we here. Much,
1: but it's gonna happen. It, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> processor or self processor? When you get your venison, are you cutting it up or are you taking it in?
1: Uh, everything I shoot, I cut up myself. Uh, I think I've had two deer my entire life that I brought to a processor and both times. One was the weather got really warm. I was super busy at work. And then the other time, I just had shot a handful of deer and didn't have time, and I donated the meat to some family friends.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will we will get into that here very soon. Um, where was I going to oh. Uh, burger or full steak what do you prefer uh for venison yes or all cuts just for venison do you like the the you like to burgerize it or do you like the full full steak cuts
1: can i throw a curveball and say jerky
0: Ooh. (laughs) So you're a meat treats guy. You like the meat treats, the jerky, the sticks. Yeah. This is good. This is good stuff. Yes. Because we come from a lot of different places, and it's amazing how every family eats uniquely. Um, Because then that's going to lead up to my next question here. we grew
1: up. Oh, go ahead. Well, we grew up having lots of uh, access to chickens, pork, and beef. So venison kind of always became a treat for us in the family. We always use that to supplement stuff like jerky and sausage and all that kind of thing. So that's always been kind of my my jam with that. Nice.
0: So then it goes into who is mostly preparing your meals at home? Is it you on the wild game side? Is it you or is it your wife?
1: Uh, I do that. My wife typically does all the sides, and I'll t- stick to the meat and the grill master. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. You stay in the domain of the proteins. I like that move. That's that's kind of where I tend. Um, we would be full carnivore if I was in charge of, just like you said, uh, if I was in charge of the entire meal. I Yeah. It's always like, oh shoot, I haven't done anything as far as like a potato or a green or a starch or nothing, and so yeah, it would just be a lot of, a lot of meat if I kept on going uh, with it on myself.
1: And some Kraft mac and cheese. <laughs> there you go, a little mac and cheese on the side.
0: <laughs> All right, so hey, we're gonna. Oh no, I got the, the last one, the creme de la creme. We're gonna throw the gauntlet here. Are you a meat hunter? Are you a? Is it brown or is it down, or are you picky? Are you the fin Are you the? Uh, you're, you're the guy going for the pinnacle. Do you want the big antlers? Are you an antler guy or are you a meat
1: guy? I'm an antler guy. If you to break it down to that basic,
0: that's what I want. I really
1: like to shoot deer, though, and <laughs> shooting does and that kind of thing are my jam also. But A buck's going to be impressive for me to shoot it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, If you haven't heard Nate's
0: interview with Marcus, uh, head over to the Michigan Wild uh, when he kicks it off. That was a a great episode, a good good back and forth with you guys because I think you did unpack a lot about how you got to the point of wanting to chase the bigger deer in the woods. You want to go for that top 10% top 10% buck that's, that's out there. You're waiting, you're holding out. And on the flip side, I am one that when it comes to deer, if they, if it comes within range, rather than trying to convince myself uh, to shoot it, I'm convincing myself not to shoot, or excuse me, instead of convincing myself not to shoot it, I'm convincing myself to shoot it in many uh, in many instances, um, timing—you um, know—I I, want to get as much meat in the freezer as possible. Uh, we can de- we can debate this back and forth a bunch as far as holding off for for animals, but that's usually been my approach: is freezer is first. Uh, antlers are a great decorator, but at the same time, like I just—I I, my blood gets pumping anytime a deer comes by me and it takes a lot for me to be like, eh, that doesn't fit my category for me to me for me to take. And coming from your background, you've been hunting your entire life, essentially, just by your interview started really young and you've been hunting, uh, for, for whitetails for most of your life. Go ahead and talk a little bit on how your progression of like becoming a young hunter and then going through the steps, going through the years of being, uh, selective and going up to these bigger deer that you're chasing.
1: Yeah. I grew up with a family full of deer hunters and killing deer was something that wasn't on foreign object thing to me. That was something that was a daily yearly thing. You're surrounded by family members that love to be out outside hunting deer camp you know doing the traditional gun hunts shooting deer with bow my dad and uncle you know when they shot a deer with a bow it was a talk of the town back in the you know, late 80s early 80s so for me i just took to it like it was second nature i loved it loved being outside loved the challenge of shooting a bow i loved uh, the whole aspect of going out there trying to figure out deer the illusion of a you know a buck to come out and shoot a buck and I've always been kind of competitive growing up so you know I was like when I was younger I was like how many does can I shoot a night with my bow you know those kind of things and I always wanted to shoot the biggest buck I could find after I shot a few you know year and a half old deer and then I don't know what really happened I know my uncle and dad they started shooting four buys on a property up north and I was kind of like younger when they started that before I could hunt so I would sit and watch my dad and uncle pass year. So it was almost by the time I started hunting, letting a buck walk was no big deal. And then I, you know, I had free reign to shoot whatever I wanted. And after I did that I think I shot maybe three bucks on this one property there, probably a year and a half old. And I was kind of like, you know what, I'm ready to do something a little different. And then I became 16 and. Primarily, it was hard to get up north and hunt as much, so I really found spots to hunt down by where we live down here and realized the deer are a lot bigger And because they weren't getting hunted as much. And then got a the first trail camera, and that just changed the game for me. Because now you knew what so, was out the there. <laughs> could be, you know, all those things. <laughs> yep, exactly. So it was pretty easy for me to kind of climb that ladder doing that. And I really enjoyed it. Just got a kick out of shooting the biggest buck I could. And and I didn't need to shoot the deer for meat because, like I said earlier, my family had access to pork, chicken, beef. And our freezer was always full of that stuff. So it wasn't like a necessity to shoot a deer to have, you know, nice meat. So it just became easy to do what I did, and I just got to really do it that way. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: No, that – in that – you know that's a great experience you know you just having your tutelage underneath your uh um your grandfather and your dad and your uncles like and being able to witness that and go through that and as i as i've been going through my own journey with that i i was a self-taught hunter um being a part of a poultry farm like yeah we have turkey at our access but then choosing to like you know what i'm going to to acquire my own red meat I want to be able to go out and, and and get my own stuff I don't want to rely on you know a butcher to handle that for me um you know I, I can always go to a rancher and and to get that but I don't know venison has just you know pound for pound dollar for dollar been something that my family like just very much enjoys um and so getting that opportunity to get a critter up nice and close and to be able to take that shot and to put that animal down right there, it's, it's kind of eluded me as far as to worry about, you know, the headgear. Like, I started out with archery mainly because when November starts, Thanksgiving is in full swing. And we're needed at the turkey farm during that time. So my season actually shuts down right there when things are getting hot. And for me to take something with a bow, you know, any, any deer, I don't care if it's doe, buck, button, you know, little yearling doe, any deer taken with a bow nowadays is, you know, that's a trophy in itself. That's an accomplishment. It's a game of how close can that critter get, not how far away. And being, ch- you know, chasing after that venison, I'm always looking at how I can make the quickest and mo- most ethical shot possible. Twofold, two sides of a coin, one side... Um, I don't want that animal to suffer. But then two, with the less that that animal suffers, the quality remains in the venison. And because I can see it drop in front of me or I know that it didn't trail off too far, that's where I'm going to be able to glean the most harvested meat off of that is with the quality of that. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where my heart is at. And, you know, hearing from your side that this is a game that you've been playing your entire life, that you are chasing after these big bucks and in the account of you chasing after these big deer, I'm sure hunters like myself being meat hunters, you actually take the pressure that we apply to the deer probably into your equation.
1: Am I right? Yes. <laughs> you know, and I, have, I don't look down on anyone that's in a per- certain part of their journey for archery hunting or whitetail hunting or gun hunting, or anything like that. I mean, I know that I've been blessed to have good private property access as a little kid. So seeing deer and watching deer be deer was something I was blessed to be able to do. I mean, it's not huge properties, but I had spots. And then as I got older, you know, I was a not afraid to knock on doors. I mean, take to that very easily. That's, and that goes for all aspects of outdoors. I mean, with my small game hunting with waterfowl hunting, all that. So I was very determined at a young age. To get property to hunt, so that was like kind of my sweat equity I put into it. I didn't really have the ability to do food plots or habitat plans and stuff like that. I just got lots of permission, and then I set my life up. You know, I've been self-employed my entire life, working with my dad, and then you know, my, have my own company now allows me some freedoms to do certain things. You know, I can work a lot of hours, and if I got jet out on a Thursday or Tuesday and want to go hit the woods, I can do that. Um, I never have to miss opening day of gun hunting, you know, so my life is set up in a way where I can spend, you know, good quality time outside. So I don't, I get good opportunities, not because I hunt every day, but I can pick those good days and I've always had the opportunity to learn and do that. I'm not stuck at a desk job or somewhere to beat. you know, 40 hours a week, five days a week. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a sacrifice because, you know, I work those hundred hour weeks sometimes, but I've just kind of revolved my life around, around a point where I want to be good at this and I want to be good at this. And what can I learn and how can I get better every year? And that's something that I just love to do. It, it takes care of that competitive drive. I have, I mean, I golf right now. I just started golfing a handful of years ago and I stink at it, but it's lit a fire <laughs> in me to get better every year, you know, and that's just how I kind of whitetail hunt, like there's big deer getting shot in Michigan. Why can't I be the one of those guys that shoot the big deer?
0: Absolutely. Wait, and, we have yeah, I listeners. And,
1: I, and, and like you said, though, too, with how you find the, the enjoyment of the art of archery hunting or deer hunting, you know, finding where they are, the process, you are able to harvest that animal with an ethical shot. There's really no other feeling in a sport that you can have with that. And then you can take that, put in a lot of effort and learning how to take care of that deer after you shoot it, provide for your family there's like something very wholesome about that and i don't want to take the opportunity away from anyone because they might not have the opportunity to shoot a big antler buck so they have one opportunity a year and that ends up being a year and a half old buck and they shoot it that's like there's nothing wrong with that that's they work their butt off and they got that enjoyment they probably enjoyed that just as much shooting that buck as i did shooting a four and a half year old you know buck that i have two or three years of experience with
0: we do have listeners that are that are out of state that uh, may want to come to Michigan, Nate. So let's just reiterate: there are no big bucks <laughs> in Michigan. Okay, let's just put that
1: bottom line there. Yeah, they're all. <laughs> if there are any big bucks, they're nocturnal. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the way you, you the way you uh, put a bow on that last part there, where you're just talking about that if a guy's got an opportunity to take something. And to use that to nourish his family, that just that just warms my heart because that's exactly that. Um, both, you know, I've been in that situation, and I just know that there are there are others in the, in that situation that are just getting started out. And by all means, it's your tag. Use it and take you know take the animal. Um, my my th- guess, my thing is is if you're going to take the animal. Get the full utilization out of it. Really take the care, whether that is if you're going to a processor, um, doing the best that you can on your field dress, not getting sloppy on that. Or if you are going to process that animal yourself, to make sure that you're gleaning each uh, of those sections, that when you go through that carcass, that you are taking off every little bit of, of flesh and meat that you can um, Guy I look up to, and we actually, he was on uh, one of an earlier episodes, Jeremiah Doty, he talks about his uh, mentality of just another meatball that when you go back through the bones and you clean up that carcass, you know, some people may be like, oh, I mean, are you going to get a lot out of that? And the way Jeremiah is like, well, it's just another meatball, but that's another meatball that I can put into uh, someone's face that can really enjoy uh, the gift that we've been able to provide here, so like that just goes hand in hand as far as you know. Once you get that animal, whether it's got a big rack or whether it's not, that animal deserves the utmost respect of getting full utilization out of that, and not just letting it lay and go to waste. Circumstances oh, that are was themselves a great conversation. Yeah, you circumstances know, that. do arise was... where if you do Sorry. make a bad shot, like that is like you're going to spend the two days trying to get it but at the same time like you're going to be out there doing your darndest to retrieve that animal as quick as possible so that yeah that's you know the stuff does happen but at that same point like you know if you take it that's great but like but what I really would just hope is that full utilization was being taken from it
1: yeah that conversation you had with him was I listened to that recently you know just kind of going through some of your podcasts listening to it just getting a feel for I know I've listened to a few in the past, but it had been a little bit. And, man, I heard that was, like, one of the first ones I listened to. And it was convicting. You know, I've I've shot quite a few deer in my life, and I've processed a lot. You know, every time a deer gets shot in the family, I gut it, get it, do those things, you know, help. My family has always processed deer. I mean, my dad lived off venison. My grandpa, you know, starting a dairy farm back in the day, they lived off venison and did that stuff. So processing deer has been a big part of my life. And I heard that conversation, and I was like, you know, I could probably do better. And I think that's pretty powerful, This hearing that. And I'm going to definitely be having that in the back of my head, Uh, hopefully when I shoot a deer this fall and can do that. And it's like, okay, what can I do a little better here? So, yeah, great conversation.
0: When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes. And use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your kill. Dry-aged steaks used to be a steakhouse-only indulgence, and old-world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch-specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umay Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. Yes, yes. And you said that, I mean, if you wanted to get fired up, to do your own processing, if you wanted to get fired up about what new cut, new little glee, little bit you were going to glean from it, uh, that's the episode to start off with. Because, yeah, you will be energized to continue on and trying to get the most out of that animal. Um, but, yes, yeah, since we're talking about getting most out of our animal, you mentioned earlier on here that uh, you're a meat treats guy, that you're into the sticks, you're into the jerky. Um Talk to me a little bit on your, your, as you go through your processing, um, how how many or like what would be some of the cuts that you hold uh, whole and what would be some of the cuts that you're like, okay, this is one that I'm specifically using for jerky and this is one that's specifically going to sausage. Like walk through me or help walk through me your process of taking apart a deer.
1: Yeah, so when I shoot it, let's say I shoot a doe with my bow or early season, my first thing I do is I, you know, take care of the meat. I will save the back straps, the tenderloin. Those I keep whole, you know, they'll go in a freezer bag, and those are can create whatever I want with that later on. Um, and then if it's the right size doe, I will keep the whole front shoulder intact, bone on and all that, and I'll, you know, zip lock that or, you know, vacuum steel that. And then I will cook that later. And then pretty much the whole, whole hind quarter and all the other stuff, the big chunks of meat a lot of people like to make steak out of, I actually use that for my jerky. And I like to dehydrate it or smoke it. So, And that's because I have a freezer full of steaks ready from beef and all that stuff. So I use really good cuts of meat for my jerky, and I use really good cuts to mix in my burger because do we do eat a lot of burger meat too. And that burger meat can be used for summer sausage later if I want to mix with pork or if I want to drop it off at a local place and I'll make some snacks for me, that kind of a thing. So I some people, probably, some people look at me like, I can't believe you're making that into jerky, but I'm like, I eat this quicker than I'll eat the steak, you know, and I really like it. And it's kind of a victorious thing for me, and my family loves it, all the guys that work like it when you bring jerky in and all that kind of thing. And, yeah, it's nothing better than to have some jerky with your lunch every day i'm with you that top round um
0: it it's a great staking piece but at the same time you talk about making like huge pieces of jerky where i i actually cross i cut with the grain as opposed to cross the grain i like to really work on my jerky if i'm gonna take a you know if i'm gonna take a bite of jerky i want to work on it for the next five minutes before i have to take another bite but um free calories th- that way exactly Exactly. All my buddies chew uh, chew tobacco, and I'm not a chewer, so this is like essentially my <laughs> my chew that I'm making. I just tuck it in the in the cheek, you know, let it you know swell up a little bit of the spit there, and then finally like work on it as it's finally gone. Um, but using that top round, using those big cuts, those roast cuts, work out awesome when it comes to making big pieces of jerky like that because they do uh once you dehydrate those yeah they get thin in profile but they still hold their length to them and you get i mean shoot three three pieces of that and that's almost a lunch at that point i mean you got a lot of meat that you're going to be able to work through uh when it comes to that do you uh do you ever use the jerky gun or do a chew like that where you use your burger and then make it into the um you know, squeeze it out in the jerky gun or do you just do the whole muscle jerky?
1: I typically just do the whole muscle jerky when I make the jerky, but my dad, when I was younger, we used that way. I think we used like the high mountain seasoning kit and we did an oven and did that. And then once I learned dehydrating and smoker, it was just like, this is the best thing ever. And then that burger, like I said, we eat a lot of burgers. So it's easy for me to, you know, eat that up and not to make that into a jerky. Um, I got desperate I probably would do it again, but so far I've been pretty good on that. <laughs>
0: um if you if you had to pick a favorite cut, what would it be?
1: I would say it'd probably have to be you know this a typical back strap because you're so versatile, you can do different things with it. But a close second recently has been like the whole front shoulder.
0: Yeah, talk to that, me about your that, whole. Like yeah, lay me lay out for me how you're how you're messing with that. When you said I kept that you would keep your whole your the front shoulder whole, and then you would then cook it. After that, I was like, I think he's onto something as far as doing like a a barbacoa or a shredded at this point. Talk to me about your process for that.
1: Yeah, so the shredded you know form. So two of the reasons. I guess there's a couple reasons, but when you're when you're processing the deer it is you know there's time that's in, you know invested in doing that so i just kind of got to the point where i was like okay well, how can i be more effective in doing this so i've kind of instead of trying to do it all one time i you know learned to you know core the deer out age it in the fridge you know when i had time after work you know process it break it down a little more but then i got to the idea where i was like man i really want the shoulders always just took so long to you know pick through everything and make burger out of and i had years ago we were helping uh a family friend out you know do some work on their house and they did a front shoulder in the oven and i remember it was just so good so i've had i have a smoker and i was like you know what, i'm gonna try that and you know got a smoker take the front shoulder smoke it for a couple hours you got to use a beer in the bottom crack open a beer dump it in your pan you know either bush latte or coors light or something like that just a cheap beer and uh I'd only smoke it for probably two hours and then I pull it out of that and I put it in a pan, like a Gordon foods pan or something with whatever kind of concoction of seasonings and all that stuff you want to do. And then I'll, you know, have the lid on it, but not all the way. And so let some smoke get in there. But then that really helps break down the front shoulder. So it doesn't get too like chewy mm-hmm. and you just kind of mess with that and kind of figure out the critique and man, by the time you're done, it falls, you pull the bone out of it and you just make great shredded, venison and it is delicious absolutely
0: absolutely that is that is a home run um i do two kinds i do the the hank shaw barbacoa that's got um it well it's it's aimed for making like tacos and burritos uh there's a lot of chipotle that's in there cumin uh garlic powder chili powder it's got it's got some good kick to it um, and that's been an absolute favorite as far as when I started hunting, and like that that recipe has just held true. Um, doing that, um, but then even taking one without all the all the seasonings, excuse me, with all the spice and just kind of uh, dulling it down a little bit for the boys, um, we've been able to make uh, like we'll, we'll still make the tacos out there, but like taquitos or freezer burritos. And man, I tell you what, I like making like a shoulder that people do look at it or at least they you, you know used to look at this and be like well it's it's destined for the grinder but you, you can just glean every little bit of flesh off that thing and it's not dry it's not tough it's so velvety smooth and it just falls apart in your mouth like it's a great cut as long as you treat it correctly and sounds like by the way you where you're smoking it, adding a little bit of that smoke flavor, getting that tender, throw it in a pan with some beer, and then yeah, being able to just almost even probably you don't even need the forks for it. You just shred it with your hands and it just comes apart. That's that's a great way to use that that piece of meat.
1: Yeah, I try to take the kind of less is more approach when I cook because first of all I'm not the greatest cook and I'm really picky. So it works for me. <laughs>
0: that was the other question i was going to ask you too like as far as like uh it, you know there's the fancier side or at least the challenging side of cooking and then there's also the i i i cook because i need to eat like that that's the bait blanket statement and but at the same time like that doesn't have to mean that you have that you're going to have bad food or that you you know can't do it correctly and so just you know you explaining that too like you know what, it's not rocket science, guys. We can, we can slow roast this. We can smoke this on a low and slow temperature, and we can get a great product and glean every little bit off that. Um, as you've been going through with the different cuts, and I know we've been talking specifically about the shoulder, has there been a cut that's been a real challenge for you, that every time that you do pull that package out of the freezer, you kind of have to take a heavy sigh, and you're like, hey, this is going to be a tester on what we're going to do with this piece. Do you have one of those that kind of keeps you uh, yeah. pushing that
1: to the back of the freezer? I struggle with anything roast-like for venison for some reason. And I don't know if that's just because I'm so used to beef roasts and I don't prep them right. I pretty much don't even do roast anymore for venison. The closest to roast would be the front shoulder, and I really enjoy that, but... I never, I think, yeah, like a neck roast, I think I tried that one time, was not a fan. And, yeah, I kind of just keep it simple. Jerky, burger, and then back straps, and then the front shoulders whole.
0: Yeah, roasts are difficult. You got a a different texture there with the, the size of the muscle grain, and you got, you know, essentially no fat on this thing. What you gotta add the fat to it. You gotta make sure that you're not drying it out at that point. It it is it is difficult and it's gonna be one of those things you have to babysit it. I feel like every time that you are cooking venison that you gotta babysit it. Even if you've got the probe thermometer in there, even if you got the fancy tragger that sends you the Wi-Fi, oh it's you know, it's not quite yet to this temperature. No, you gotta babysit whatever you've got going low and slow. And I can see roasts being that uh that way. Um can I can I come clean too, Nate? I, I do have uh I do have to own up to a mistake that I made while camping. Um I I yes, used my Dutch oven. Me. Yes. Um I was using my Dutch oven and I've got this uh oh it's it's maybe a five five quart uh Dutch oven. And it's got the feet on the bottom as far as little prongs. So it sits up uh, nice and high. So if you did want to use it on a charcoal table, you could. I was going to use it in uh, the fire pit at the state park. But we were going to go on uh, a day trip. We were going to leave camp. We were then going to come back. And then hopefully it was going to be done by that point. So we were like I had a half a day hike. We were going to do with all the kids. And we were there with another couple. So I prepped this front roast that we were going to use. It was actually a, a, a mid-roast of a shoulder and hit it with, and I did real basic, but I ended up julienning some onions, slicing up some onions, throwing those in the bottom of the Dutch oven, full can of beer. I took a full can, uh, once I emptied it, filled that can with water and then put that in there. So I had half water, half beer, um, seared all the sides of the roast, Salt, pepper, garlic, and then I put that sucker in the Dutch oven, and this was all there right after breakfast. And so we had a coal bed, and I mistakenly threw fresh lump charcoal all over this fire to, like, all right, get that started, kind of knocked it down. And set. rather than build, put the tripod out there so that it was hanging above the fire, I took three logs— And then I stuck the the feet on top of the logs, like there. That's going to keep it up off the charcoal. It's going to burn those logs eventually, but we'll be back by then uh, in order to get this this roast that's uh, now in the Dutch oven. Well, our half a day ended up turning into a full day hike. Um, We ended up uh, hiking pictured rocks. Well, then we found another little jaunt to go off of, so we went to there. And so we came back, our six-hour venture ended up being, like, a good 10, 11 hours. And I come back, and the charcoal's all consumed. The logs are all consumed. And the Dutch oven is, it it hasn't tipped, but it's sitting down, and it's it's sunk, like, three inches into the amount of ash from all of the used-up fuel that was there. So I pulled up the Dutch oven and it at first it smelled really good like oh this is going to be awesome. I took the lid off that. I turned that roast into legitimate charcoal. Because it sat there on that intense <laughs> heat, it must have fallen in amongst those logs onto the charcoal. So all the seasoning of my all the seasoning of the the Dutch oven as far as like the uh um, the oil that we put into that was gone. It is a bare metal Dutch oven right now. Like that sucker got extremely hot, but that lid held all of it held all of the gases on the inside. So you could see where at one point the bubbling liquid from the, the roast and from the beer and the water was like, now it's just ash. You could see where the bubbles had popped and then were frozen in time there. And literally the meat and the bone were, like, fossilized. It weighed nothing, and I actually was able to take the bone and, like, crush it with my hands. So even though, like you were saying, like, you know what, I I cook basic and I just want to make sure that I make something good for the family, that they're going to enjoy it. Well, if you go too fancy and you start to want to play with, your dutch oven or you play with your cast iron over an open fire like don't go on a 10 hour hike because otherwise you will completely ruin dinner um knowing that it was going to be one of those like "Ah, this is an iffy setup i pulled out uh, a couple pounds of ground that we had in the camper, and I put those in the refrigerator to thaw throughout the day. So we ended up having tacos that night instead of my shredded roast. But anyway, I just wanted to say, like you've been struggling with roasts. Hey, that happens to even the people who claim to be wild game cooks. Like eventually, you're going to screw up. So anyway, thank you for letting me get that so off my chest. If you have
1: a really good, you have a really good fall. It could be because of your burnt offering. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that the Lord enjoyed
0: all of that nutrient that was evaporated yes. into nothing. That is a very good twist on that. I think you that's um, tenfold. Yes, I sacrificed that to the Lord, as in to bring me another deer so that I can then use <laughs> another shoulder. <laughs> Thank you for helping me find a positive spin on that. I felt like I was like, I either I talk about this or I don't talk about this, and I wanted to get that off get that off my chest.
1: Well, you'll be better for it for sure. <laughs> I feel better now. So, you know, I feel better,
0: you feel better, we're good to go. Good to go. Um, so now we're gonna play a little game. This is kind of the crescendo of our show, Nate. And this is going to be where we are having the sportsman's empire. Potluck. You are going to be bringing a dish to pass to the Emperor's table. And I'm making up this scenario that at some point we're going to get together uh, as podcasters on the Empire and we're going to have this elaborate meal. And this meal is consisting of dishes that we've all prepared, of our wild game, our favorites. Um, stuff that we're, that we're familiar with, um, things that maybe we've had growing up that, that brings so much tradition and richness to our life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn the table to you. And what I'm going to have you do is describe a dish that you would bring to this potluck. Uh, why is it important? Why are you choosing it? But then at the same time, I want you to walk us through on how you... Or someone would help you prepare
1: that. Yeah, so as we, hopefully I touched on a little bit, I'm not the greatest cook in the world. i uh, picky, so I like basics. Uh, just for the sake of maybe not talking about it again, the venison shoulder would be kind of high on the list. Just for a lot of food, a lot of people can eat it, they can doctor it up however they want. Most sides and, you know, sandwich or whatever. But if I didn't use that, I would not want to follow anyone else. So I would do probably like chicken wings, smoke some chicken wings, season them you know with a couple of different blackening things, uh, you know try to find the jumbo ones, the big ones because we're all dudes that like to eat meat. Heck yeah! But I would smoke them, and then I would finish them on my blackstone, and just get them nice and crispy on the outside, and then I'd have a plethora of different sauces for people. So the pregame would be my chicken wings and then I can dip in whatever sauce you like, do that, just because I don't want to follow anyone or be compared to any other main dish. (laughs) I know my strengths and my weaknesses, so I'm sticking to that. (laughs) I
0: love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to add a twist then. I'm going to add a twist. I'll help you. But let's take your chicken wing idea, but let's also add in your love of small game. What if we did squirrel wings, or like the hindquarter legs of squirrels? I tell you, I... I enjoy a good, you know, you, you simmer them for, shoot, maybe twenty minutes in, yeah, in a pilsner, in a cheap beer, and then take those either over to uh, the paint, you know, to the cast iron, or even in a little uh, uh, deep or shallow fry. Add a little flour to them, drop those things in, and man, yeah, whatever sauce you add to those squirrel eggs, that is just going to be a. That's going to be a great appetizer. Are you guys, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, small game was a big passion of yours as well. Are you guys eating your squirrels, or is it merely like you're just going after the squirrels, tagging them, running the dogs? It's more of a social thing at that point.
1: So if we typically go out small game hunt with dogs, we target rabbits. Uh, We have lots of squirrels in the area, so obviously if we see a rabbit, and we see a squirrel or rabbit hunting, sorry, we will shoot the squirrel. And then my buddy Tyler, who I did a podcast with about rabbit hunting and small game hunting, he loves squirrels, so he usually takes them, because we don't really shoot that many of them. Gotcha. But he loves them, and kind of to the point where, like, maybe we should target these a little more. And then, but your idea with a squirrel, would that work with a rabbit hind leg? Because they're kind of, you know, you could keep them on the bone, you can snip them with the shears, and maybe do that same kind of thing. I should probably try that.
0: Yeah, maybe a little longer in the poach uh, as far as, like, simmering them in in a beer or in a broth or, or whatever you want to do that, just because they are meatier. Um, yeah, you could definitely do that same style as far as a squirrel, as far as it's a lean meat, it's a mild meat. You know, you don't want to overdo them, but a quick little simmer, in a beer, a little dredge, a little shallow fry. I can't think of anything better uh, to have at, at some banquet.
1: Yeah, okay, you just have my game. I won't feel so bad now when I show up.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Nate, I want to turn it over to you a little bit. Um, where can my listeners tune in to you? I mean, obviously Sportsman's Empire, but where can we find you on social media? Um, where else can we find and interact with with you and your podcast?
1: Yeah, so I took over the podcast from Marcus, and I think you've had him on before. But the pages on Instagram, Michigan Wild Pod, and uh, yeah, I you know I trying to post some stuff on there. I'm not a huge social media guy. But now, since I've taken over the podcast, i have kind of like, okay, I'll try to do something once a week, maybe kind of... I I take lots of pictures and lots of videos and stuff like that, but just kind of share them with friends and stuff, so I'm like, oh, maybe we'll just kind of push them onto the podcast page. But yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to me, it's probably best bets either to just go on there and send me a message, and I'd love to have conversations with anyone, but yeah, I think I'm on week... I think episode six is launching that I've done, and I love it, and it's been a lot of fun, and getting a lot of fulfillment out of it and doing that. But um, never really thought this would be something I'd be doing right now in my life, but something I always wanted to do kind of. My wife kind of was always pushing me. She pushed me into this. And you can kind of hear that story a little little bit on the the Passing Torch podcast I did with Marcus. But, yeah, I think if you're someone that wants to, you know, listen to a lot of things in Michigan, all sorts of hunting, uh, fishing, some high-level hunting, I guess, trying to get in some intricate details with how I'm finding maybe some of these higher end bucks or some of the other people in the state or people I know that are similar. I just want to give it, people the opportunity to say it is, it is a realistic goal that you could have. It's not unattainable if you, there's different ways to go about it. So just really want to use the podcast as that platform to teach people and, uh, and maybe just have a good time and just, yeah, if you want to get into fishing, like I don't fish hardly at all. And I've done some great podcast with a couple guys that are big into fishing, so I learned things, and just, yeah, like, I think you've talked about how guys like us like to listen to stuff, be immersed into it, and it doesn't always have to be whitetails, so I kind of got to remind myself of that, (laughs) because I'm getting really one-minded on that, but, you know, small game hunting is fulfilling, Uh, you know, you can do turkeys and stuff like that, and i'm a big proponent about getting kids out there and doing that because i was able to do it at a young age and it stuck for me it doesn't won't necessarily stick for every young kid but they might come back to it when they're in their adult life but um yeah i think it's michigan's a great state for that to have a family being immersed in the outdoors great weather most of the time other in the 90 humid days which those are gross, but, uh, well, don't worry. But, uh, We're going yeah, to get real cold here real fast. <laughs> I'm ready for it. <laughs> I'm built for cold weather, <laughs> but yeah, just look, re, re, reach out any questions or anyone wants to hop on there and talk about some things in Michigan and anyone wants to discuss, you know, the big buck versus little buck stuff. I'm down, I'm down for a good healthy conversation. So, and if you're on the fence to, um, don't be afraid to commit to something because I, I went five years without shooting a buck and I let a lot of really big bucks walk in that time. And I had a lot of struggle, but that five year investment has made the last five years great and totally worth it in my mind. Um, some awesome hunts, awesome encounters. Uh, yeah, I ate my tags last year for the first time in probably six or seven years, but that was because of the, I was trying to, you know, do a little different goal. And I think as long as you're challenging yourself and doing that, fair game. Go have fun. Do it. Amen. Amen. Yes.
0: I'll hold on to a buck tag for who knows, but I can darn well tell you, (laughs) the next doe I see is going to get dropped. (laughs) That's where I'm at. Zapper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nate, this has been such a fun hour. I mean, it just, like, flew right on by. Uh, it's a great chance to talk with you. Uh, go ahead and hold on. I'm going to let my listeners on out. Folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, this little talk. If you're from Michigan, I think you're going to kind of feel for uh, the tone of where we're coming from. It's going to feel a little bit like home. And if you're not from Michigan, um, yeah, just continue to remember that there are no big bucks in this state. You might as well not even come. Uh, wink, wink. But anyway... That's neither here nor there. But, folks, I hope you enjoyed this discussion. I hope you enjoyed getting a chance to know Nate. And, uh, yeah, another contributor to the sportsman's empire. So, folks, we are getting to the nitty-gritty time where it's time to where we should be uh, shooting those bows. We should be making sure that our broadheads are, uh, are tuned. And we should make sure the edges of all of our knives, and including those broadheads, are very sharp.